We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. All right. Welcome, Bears fans, to another episode of Picks for Polls presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. Uh, we're recording this episode today, Wednesday, September 14th, following the Bears getting their first win of the 2022 season on opening day against the 49ers, getting a little bit of an upset here. Uh, you say it, it was an exciting game. We talked about it a little bit um, on our Twitter spaces for the Bear Report after the game. But uh, overall, how are we doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing excited or I'm doing well. Um, sorry, a little too excited here because it is, you know, Bears Packers week. So it's the first time since I think 2018 that we're seeing a, well, I should say, sorry, 2019 that we're seeing a Bears Packers matchup in September. So you always love the rivalry. I think that this year kind of going into it, and we'll get into it at the end of the game too, but there's such a different feel, especially considering just everything that we saw happen around the NFC North in week one and more specifically the bears game yeah it was a crazy wild ride of a week one i mean there were a bunch of crazy games that what that went on uh, i mean just speak, speaking to the nfc north in general just specifically here like the lions you know they were in a pretty close game against the eagles a high scoring affair the lions once again it seems like you know it's like common for the dan campbell era for them where they get down early in these games and then they just continue to claw and fight back and um, and make them close at the very end, which is what they did um, in their loss to the Eagles, uh, who are going to be, I think, a pretty good team this year. And then the Vikings and Packers, like the Vikings just kicked the Packers' butt, which I think will kind of play into uh, this upcoming Bears-Packers game, which we'll be talking about at the end there. But um, in terms of some uh, things we can talk about for this Bears-49ers game quickly right here before we get to some college football talk for this episode, um, you know, the first thing I wanted to touch on you said is the rookie class in this one, because, you know, it's going to be, I think, an interesting thing to cover all year, seeing how these guys progress throughout the season. Um, and so far, I think, you know, you got to like the early returns that you're seeing from some of these rookies here for the Bears. 
you're right. You certainly do have to really like the early returns because, and I tweeted this kind of Sunday after the game, and I think I said something on Monday too, but if these rookies play the way that they did on Sunday and we won, I mean, there's no doubt that the Bears are probably going to have one of the top, if not the top rookie class, because you're looking at a rookie class that didn't have any first round picks. Then you had Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker, who, by the way, played really damn well for their first NFL start. And playing DB is a damn hard position to play in the NFL. And then how about fifth-round rookie Dominique Robinson, as well as fifth-round pick Braxton Jones, the defensive end and the offensive tackle, really having strong showings. Now, this to me kind of shows that Ryan Poles is a phenomenal evaluator, but then there's also the other half of it is that this coaching staff is really up to speed. And if you were following our coverage throughout training camp especially for me I mean Dominique Robinson was one player that I had said was way ahead of schedule and it was very evident when he was going up against some of these veteran offensive linemen like O'Reilly Reef, for example or even I would say Cody Whitehair and he was just blowing past them with a lot of ease so you know Robinson's one name to consistently keep an eye on but then the other guys like a Braxton Jones I thought had a pretty solid showing um same with Gordon as well as Jaquan Brisker. So from here on out, it's just about building. And if you're a team like the Bears that is going to rely heavily on these rookies to perform because you are trying to, to quote Matt Eberflus, build the foundation in year one, this bodes really well for you going into a matchup against the Green Bay Packers, specifically because you know these guys are going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. Yeah, I'll start with Robinson specifically here because I thought he was really impressive. And I think you used the right term here ahead of schedule for Robinson. Like he is way ahead of schedule than I think we all thought he would as a fifth round pick. You know, the expectation for him coming into uh, this season was that he was going to be a bit of a project this year, you know, because, you know, small school guy, new to the position. I think he played wide receiver before transitioning to edge um, in college. So he's new to the position. He's a little bit raw, but a, a tremendous amount of physical ability. So I think the expectation would be very similar to what we thought of Travis Gibson with his rookie year, where Travis Gibson, it kind of took him a year um, to really get his foot feet under him as an NFL player. And then in his second season, he started getting more consistent playing time and really started to stand out there. You know, it, it would make a lot of sense for Robinson to um, kind of have a similar trajectory. Well, it seems like he's completely just going through that, um, uh, putting that trajectory to shame basically. And he's way ahead of that right now because you look what he did in his first game, you know, one and a half sacks. I think PFF had him graded as one of the highest graded edge rushers in the NFL, which I mean, I know a lot of our listeners may not take into account PFF too much. Um, I, I like what PFF does generally. I know their grades can be a little bit wonky sometimes, but um, yeah, yeah, Robinson, he played well. His pass rush, you know, he, he looked pretty good. He had that one rush against McGlinchey where, you know, he set up that, you know, speed rush around the edge, and then he just beat him with a swim move to the inside, um, showing a, a ton of, I think, a, a lot more, I, I guess NFL readiness than I thought he would a lot more, um, you know, just ability to use his hands that I, I just didn't think he would be able to use um, in year one. And it was interesting the way that the bears coaching staff was using him. Cause you talk about development of players being such an important part of this. Like um, they weren't just having Robinson line up on the edge in this game either. Like he had some reps inside. In fact, one of his wins when I w- went back and watched his tape uh, was from inside. He was able to get a pressure on tree Lance uh, when he matched up against a guard and, 
I'm intrigued to see how they end up doing that because if he has that inside outside flexibility, that just adds uh, a ton of uh, versatility to this pass rush and a lot more explosiveness to this pass rush because the interior defensive linemen for this Bears team right now are uh, not great. <laughs> um, I went back and watched their tape for my tracking the trenches um, article that should be out by the time this uh, podcast is up and. Yeah, the, the DTs aren't really doing much for the Bears so far. But um, we talked about Braxton Jones. I was able to watch him for tracking, tracking the trenches as well. You know, um, it was a, it was a rocky start for Jones, I felt like. Um, he, he got beat by uh, Ebicom and, and Bosa a couple times early in the game that led to sacks. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where fifth-round rookie, you know, from a small school – at, at a position like left tackle where you're going to go through your bumps as a rookie. Like, he did – you know – he wasn't great, he, you know, but he wasn't like terrible either. I thought he settled in um, once we got to the second half and the, and the Bears were able to kind of uh, game plan around that a little bit. Um, like you said, Brisker and Gordon had solid debuts as well. I thought both of them made some, you know, pretty significant big plays in the second half, especially in run support. But, you know, I bring up the second half, I guess, adjust, adjustments, so to speak. And let's talk about that and kind of transition there because that was kind of another big aspect of this game as well. And when I talk about adjustments here, I'll just speak on the offensive line usage and, and the offensive play calling um, specifically here first before we get into any other um, changes that the Bears made. But I thought, you know, we look at the Bears game plan in the first half. It's featured a lot of shotgun, you know, a lot of, you know, very basic run plays and not a lot of creativity. They weren't really going to their play action package. I felt like it was a very conservative game plan you know, considering the conditions with the weather and the field and whatnot. In the second half, I like that Getze opened it up a little bit and also made it a point of emphasis to kind of protect his offensive line a little bit. And I think that really helped a guy like Braxton Jones. And it really helped that unit in general. I thought they really settled in in the second half. They had much better protection in the second half as a result as well. And, you know, once they started to let fields actually, like, throw the ball a little bit more on early downs, like, you got to see – um, you know, him really start to make some plays in the passing game, which was really nice to see because that first half was really ugly. And the second half, we started to see a little bit of a glimpse of what this offense could be if they, you know, open things up a little bit more instead of just staying to a true to form basic, you know, run game with passing on third down. And opening it up, I think, is not just about giving Justin Fields a number of plays or even more plays to be able to go ahead and run. Because opening the playbook up to me as an offensive coordinator and just looking at this from the outside in basically signals is that what Luke Getze and Matt Eberflus did was, and especially Luke Getze, was they basically trusted Justin Fields to go ahead and say, hey, Justin, you're the guy right now. You're the leader of this team. You go out and you win this game for us, so you do whatever you need to. Because if we're being honest, right, what the Bears did in the first half was this, is that they kind of played scared. They handcuffed Justin Fields. And ultimately, you know what, a lot of that, I hate to say this, but it was kind of the exact same things that we had seen with a player head coach relationship like or player offensive coordinator relationship like what the Bears had with Matt Nagy and all these other quarterbacks in the past it was just the coach kind of taking the lead the quarterback not really there in the shotgun or the passenger seat and it was just more so just do what you're told execute the plays that you're called even though it's not best for you but that second half was a token example prime example of just what the Bears offense can really develop into when you give the keys of the offense to your quarterback and tell your quarterback, you go out there and you be the best playmaker on the field. 
Yeah, and again, it's not like you know the Bears opened up in a sense of they just let Fields throw it every single down or whatever. Like it wasn't anything like that. It was just um, the little nuances and, and the fact that they, you know, you know, early on it seemed like they were just doing a very basic stuff um, and not really doing anything creative creatively um, to you know put the 49ers defense on their heels. And I th- I feel like in the second half they they really made an emphasis or I should say, as the game went on, they really put on an emphasis to say, you know, let's get Justin Fields out in the move a little bit more. Let's get him involved in the run game a little bit with some read options. Um, you know, let's do some play action passes where we know that Justin Fields is as best throwing the ball down the field. That's where he's most effective. So let's try to take advantage of that. And I think it really paid off for them. I mean, really what changed the momentum in this game wasn't really anything that the coaching staff did, but it was Justin Fields making that play. Um, you know, it, it, near the beginning of the second half where, um, you know, there's pressure from his left side because Braxton Jones, you know, gets beat on the left side there. Um, Fields, you know, makes a play out of it, escapes the pocket, uh, runs out to his, rolls out to his left, um, just makes something happen. And then lo and behold, Dante Pettis is wide open down the field because the 49ers forgot about him in coverage and Fields has that presence of mind and that field vision to see him and make the throw down the field, which just completely opened up everything. I think it got momentum going on the Bears side from there on. And I think that's one of the things that I think the coaching staff will have to lean into throughout the season is that, you know, Justin Fields, there are going to be mistakes that he's going to make throughout this season, um, throughout the course of games. And we saw in this one, there were some pretty bad throws in this game as a whole. I mean, he had that really bad interception. There were a couple of other passes that should have been interceptions. If we're being completely honest, Um, you know, a couple of passes, I think that Justin Fields would have liked to have back. Um, But you look at all the physical ability that Fields has this guy's a playmaker. He has the ability to make special plays, um, whether it's with his legs or with his arm. And so to not put him in positions where he can take advantage of that would be um, just absolutely, you know, a, a negative for this offense as a whole. So instead of hiding him, like he kind of said, like that, that Mitch Trubisky treatment that he got um, late, I, I'd, I would say like midway through his second year in Chicago with under Matt Nagy were, you could tell that Matt Nagy, you know, a few games into the year had no belief in Trubisky at that point. It was basically just doing anything he could to not put Trubisky in positions to screw it up. Um, you know, that's what I think this coaching staff has to avoid here. They have to understand that Fields, he's a developing quarterback um, and that he has special ability to make things happen. So instead of, you know, trying to hide him with, you know, a basic run game um, and, and trying to win games, you know, ugly, so to speak, let this guy go out there and make plays for you live with some of the consequences of that, but know that at the end of the day, he's going to get better from those negative plays because the only way to learn is to actually go out there and do it. And if you're just going to put handcuffs on him, you know, it's not going to work out. You got to be able to let this guy breathe a little bit, let him go out there and play freely and see what he can do. Sports betting continues to take over the sports world, and with fall right around the corner, there's going to be action from every major league sports league across the country on our own TVs. If you're like me, you're glued to the couch watching as many games as you can. Our friends at Oz Trader have got you covered with all the odds for each major sports book from around the web, all in one place just for you. 
As an added bonus, Odds Trader even compares the sign-up codes and promos so you get the best deal possible. When you're trying to find the best book, it's always best to have the best sign-up codes and promotions. Sometimes those even come with boosts, even additional money deposits. The app gives you a complete rundown on any game, including statistics, injuries, key game stats, game day weather, keeping you, the fan, as informed as possible. And sometimes if you're like us... You've got multiple bets going at once. Odd Trader will keep track of them all in one place for you. So what we want you guys to do is this. Head over to oddtrader.com slash bluewire. Once again, that's oddtrader.com slash bluewire, the number one website for all your game day bets. I want to talk about that interception for just a second because what was the narrative that we heard all offseason? It was that the Bears really don't have any wide receivers. The playmaking core around the quarterback just isn't as good as a lot of Bears fans think it is. Now, there is some truth to that. I mean, you and I have mentioned multiple times and we're in consensus about this is that the problem is is that the Bears don't necessarily have that blue chip. They have a quarterback on a rookie contract, but that quarterback on a rookie contract doesn't have that blue chip wide receiver prospect, right, or that blue chip wide receiver. It's like you look at Kirk Cousins who has Justin Jefferson, okay, and Adam Thielen. You look at Joe Burrow who serves as the most recent example who's got – Jamar Chase, as well as guys like Tyler Boyd. You look at Justin Herbert, who's got um, Keenan Allen, as well as Mike Williams. And then going into year two in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes had Tyreek Hill. The Bears don't have that true number one blue chip guy for Justin Fields yet. You hope that it's something the team finds in the 2023 offseason. But I bring that up because that interception, right, was just a classic case of Justin being too damn aggressive and not knowing what his limits were. Because if you look at the way that the route was designed, it was very simple. Mooney was in the slot there, and Darnell was basically running a fade. And then you had Cole Komet, who was kind of running an out route. And so for Justin, it's those little instances that you look at and you say, you know what, he probably he was making some of the same mistakes last year, right? to be objective here and kind of it was just what it should have been was just take what the defense is giving you, which is a simple five, six, seven, eight yard out route. Don't go ahead and try to force a ball in the middle of four forty nine jerseys. Now the good news is that for Justin, he is the type of QB who's a quick learner and processor because he looks at something on film and then he really doesn't make the same mistake twice. And speaking of processing, there were times where in the first half he was holding on to the ball much, much, much longer than he probably should have. And there's two things to that, right? A lot of people were like, he's holding on to the ball forever. But also the 49ers have a pretty damn good secondary. And quite frankly, like the Bears wide receiving core does not scare any defensive coordinator, if we're being honest. But then again, you know, there are times where it's like the Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney situation, right? Where Justin threw the interception. It would have been much easier to, boom, just get the ball out ASAP and take what the defense is giving you. Well, you talk about the 49ers not being scared of uh, the Bears passing game. Like, I'll, I'll phrase another way. They had, like, zero respect for the Bears receivers in their passing game, especially in that first half. Now, that did come to, you know, bite them a little bit in the second half. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be something that's going to be – pretty common all year. Like a lot of teams are not going to have outside of like Darnell Mooney. They're not going to have a lot of respect for any of these wide receivers to go out there and make plays and beat them. You know, they're going to 
you know, feel pretty confident that if they can stop the run and put these guys in, and put the Bears in third and not long situations that, you know, they're going to be able to do whatever the heck they want defensively because the Bears just don't have the talent on the outside to take advantage of them making any mistakes um, there. And you look at the interception, like you said, um, you know, part of that is Justin Fields, one, locking on a guy that he has a ton of chemistry with, Darnell Mooney there. Um, but also, you know, the 49ers being able to disguise things and and fool Justin Fields like, a little bit. Like, if you go back and watch that play, you can see Hufanga, you know, he kind of hides a little bit, but you can see him before the snap kind of going into the position where he's kind of that rover, that robber in the middle of the field. So Fields probably should have known that, okay, Hufanga's, you know, hanging out in that area, I probably shouldn't throw it. But I, I guess, you know, Fields didn't read that either. He didn't read that pre-snap or he just didn't see Hufanga, who was kind of in the weeds there a little bit. So that's something to, to kind of take into account there for the interception. But, I mean, it's going to be a common theme for this passing game all, all year. You know, until the Bears go out there and actually prove that they have dynamic threats on the outside, um, you know, teams are not going to respect them whatsoever in the passing game. So the Bears are going to have to prove that they can beat teams through the, through the year in the passing game with their receivers. And, you know, you saw some flashes from Byron Pringle getting open. I mean, it was kind of a play where he got schemed open there. You know, Pettis, that was a case where the 49ers just kind of blew the coverage there um, on a broken play. Equinemus St. Brown, it's another one of those where, you know, St. Brown, I mean, credit from the catching the ball and running fast in a straight line, but um, it was one of those plays where you look at it, it was just a really, de- really well-designed play by Getsy to get him open. Um, there wasn't really anything special that Equinemus St. Brown did. And I think a lot of defense will look at that and say, okay, you know, that was a great design play for that coverage. All we have to do from going on, going forward is to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in that position to get beat on those type of plays. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, the receivers that were beating 49ers cornerbacks, it was the fact that they were just getting schemed open by Getze, who did a much better job of that in the second half. So that's one of the positives there is that you have an offensive corner that can do that with, you know, less than ideal parts. The negative there is that unless he's doing that on a consistent basis, you're not going to see too many receivers, you know, burning guys deeper or getting a ton of separation here because they just don't have the talent to do that. So it's one of those weird dichotomies with uh, this Bears offense right now. Um you know, when you look forward to the Packers game, which we will in a little bit, you know, that's going to be one of the main, you know, talking points is can this receiving core do well against a really, really dang good Packers secondary that had a rough week, but also Justin Jefferson's one of the elite wide receivers in the game. And, you know, as much as we love Darnell Mooney as Bears fans, you know, Darnell Mooney ain't that guy. So and that's going to be something to look forward to for next week's game. But I, I think that's enough to talk about for week one uh, Bears against 49ers. Like we talked about it quite a bit on our, um, Twitter spaces conversation. So if you want to get all of our thoughts, check that out. Um, but moving on, we have some college football stuff to talk about as well, um, because that is definitely something that's going on. And it was a, another wild weekend of, of college football hijinks, you know, even I think better than last week, because we got, you know, some pretty classic games here um, from this week of football. Um, we'll start with probably the biggest storyline um, from this college football uh, weekend in terms of like a draft analysis standpoint. And that's a quarterback, um, matchup between uh, Anthony Richardson for uh, the Florida Gators and Will Levis of Kentucky. Um, those two teams matching up this past weekend. Kentucky comes out on top 26 to 16. Um, you know, neither quarterback really went out there and balled out. Um, Richardson in particular struggled in this game. Um, but you said watching that game, what were your thoughts on the two quarterbacks? Yeah, if I'm being honest, and you kind of phrase it perfectly, like I wasn't overly impressed with what either of them did. 
partly because I think Will Levis had a bit more help from his defense than some people are willing to give him credit for. Now, if you're Anthony Richardson, right? And anyways, it's interesting because there were a number of NFL scouts as well as high, you know, ranking front office executives in attendance. And all these teams, you know, are going to be looking for quarterbacks next year just because they're current quarterbacks are not the future or failed first round draft picks. And so, you know, a guy like Anthony Richardson, a guy who kind of went into the season ranked as the number three or number four quarterback on a lot of people's lists, you know what? He really didn't do anything to kind of inspire and shoot up in the rankings. There were times he struggled. He had the one really stupid interception, which was a major momentum changer, I believe, in the third quarter. And that you look at it, I mean, I believe it was the running back who was running an arrow route. And ultimately what happened there is that Richardson just didn't see the defender right there in front of the running back and just decided to kind of force it and make a dumb decision. So that's just a really bad mental error. You look at Will Levis. I mean, he's got, you know, it's like you identified back in August. He's got a really nice arm. He's a pretty solid QB overall, but I just think that he has to learn how to use his physical tools and traits to his advantage. And there were times you saw it on Saturday night and other times you're like, okay, this is a guy who clearly needs a lot more work than people are willing to admit, but it doesn't mean that when he does decide to turn pro and as he progresses, as the season goes on, that there isn't something to work with. So those were, you know, my general thoughts from that Florida Kentucky game, because that was one of those games where it was kind of like whoever makes the first, it wasn't like a back and forth type game. It was just a more so like, it's going to be a cool old, you know, Nice old school game. Defenses are going to kind of dominate, but then ultimately, whichever quarterback makes the first mental error, the defense is going to take advantage of that. That is going to be the team that ends up winning. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it, it was a weird game from that standpoint, and I'm just looking over at the at the uh, passing numbers. Like again, when you're scouting, you should never box score scout. That's like the worst way to evaluate a player is just to look at the box score and say, "Well, this guy stats were bad, so therefore he played bad." No, that's not that's not what we want to do here. But just looking at the box score, it was clearly underwhelming for both these guys. Look at Will Levis, the winning quarterback, 13 and 24, 202 yards, he had a touchdown and interception. And then Richardson, I mean, really rough numbers, 14 of 35, so not even 
completion percentage, 143 yards and two interceptions, including that one he talked about, which was a backbreaker for uh, the Florida team. And Richardson in general, I thought it was just complete opposite of what we saw from week one. And I, I wouldn't say complete opposite, more so that the flaws that he was able to that were overlooked in week one that he has in his game were much more magnified in week two against, I think a, a much better opponent that put him in positions where, you know, he had to, you know, let's face it, Richardson at this point in time, he's very raw as a passer, you know, as a processor, as a decision maker, um, you know, he's got a fantastic, incredible arm, but the other facets of playing the position are just not there yet for him right now. And we saw that in this game, Kentucky kind of forced him to, have to rely on those other fats as to play in the quarterback position. And he struggled mightily. Um, the accuracy was all over the place. Decision-making was all over the place. Um, and he didn't have that rushing element too, because Kentucky was able to bottle him up there. You know, look at Richardson in that first game, over a hundred yards rushing, three touchdowns. He was incredible making all these, you know, insane athletic plays wasn't, you know, there in this game. And so it, it brings to the question of, you know, Richardson, you know, is he capable of playing quarterback at the next level, um, you know, from the head on up instead of just, you know, the head on down in, in terms of, you know, can he rely on, you know, the processing aspects of playing the quarterback position and not just the physical tools that he has because he has the arm, he has the size, he has that dynamic elite athletic ability. But I, I just think he's so new to playing the position right now at the collegiate level that, He's got a long ways to go before he's anywhere close to ready to play at the NFL level as, as a starting quarterback. So that's kind of where Richardson is at right now. I know we talked highly of him last week, but it's just the reactionary nature of football, you know, week to week. That's where that's the way it goes, I guess. Um, and then Will Levis, I mean, again, he was fine. We saw some, you know, glimpses of, you know, that arm talent, that ability to make big time plays, uh, but also the inconsistency there as well. So Levis, you know, I, I feel much better about Levis moving forward. To me, he's still kind of that, in that, you know, conversation with that third quarterback behind Stroud and, and Young at this point. So, you know, Levis was, I, I guess, fine enough to kind of maintain that status. But again, didn't really do anything to really, you know, wow me in terms of, you know, okay, now I seem in the conversation of being with, Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, like I'm not ready to go there yet with Levis. I still think he's got a little bit of a ways to go there before I'm ready to put him in that top two conversation with those guys. But speaking of those top two, uh, we saw a much better uh, weekend from CJ Stroud this weekend of our Ohio State. Um, you know, had a much better time, you know, not facing that Notre Dame defense, really looked good in his game. But a player that struggled, it was kind of like the opposite of what happened. So CJ Stroud, he struggled last week, but it was awesome this week. And then you look at Bryce Young. He was awesome in week one against Utah State, but struggled in what I thought was the game of the week uh, against Texas. Um, but still, we saw some glimpses of, of Bryce Young being great. So this Texas-Alabama uh, game, I thought it was an awesome game to watch. Um, it started off looking like it was going to be like a shootout. Um, Quinn Ewers, um, the quarterback for Texas, who I don't think is eligible for this upcoming draft, he he looked awesome in this game to start off to start off like – you look at his numbers here, 9 to 12, 134 yards. He was making big-time throws, like, all over the place. He had a couple of throws that should have been touchdowns that his receivers couldn't handle. Like, Ewers looked like the real deal in this one, and it was unfortunate that he ended up getting hurt with a shoulder injury. And then once the shoulder injury happened, like, the entire tone of this game changed. It went from kind of this, you know, Texas is um, – you know, looking like they're going to come away with a with an upset here. They're going to score a lot of points on a really good Alabama defense. And instead, 
it, the game kind of bogged down to this low scoring defenses affair that Alabama ended up coming out on top. What, you know, and, and we look at the Alabama side of things, like obviously Bryce young is the talking point here in terms of his performance. Like I thought he was very uneven for most of the day, but the one thing that I have to give credit to young for here, um, that even though he wasn't the most efficient, you know, 27 to 39, 213 yards, one touchdown, he had a couple of plays where he put the ball in harm's way that, um, you know, didn't get taken advantage of by Texas, but he also had a couple of throws where, you know, his receivers let him down for sure. It should be mentioned. But what I liked about young in this game is that when the chips were on the line, when the game was on the line, you know, he really stepped up for Alabama and made some huge plays down the stretch to pull out this win. Yeah, he certainly did. And I think if you're Texas, you know, this was one of those games that I felt was, you know, should have, really gone Texas's way but then again there's two things here so number one you can never really count Alabama out and number two when you have opportunities to kind of put Alabama away you need to make sure you're taking every single opportunity possible now that final drive I thought that what it was more than anything was that Bryce Young kind of showed up for the Crimson Tide and was the reason they kind of ended up winning and that's the big thing, right, is everyone labels Bryce Young a franchise quarterback. Everyone looks at him and says, oh, yeah, you know what? He's the type of player who is going to be the face of a franchise at the next level, and we're seeing those traits consistently pop up. I think that you're seeing it as well with the Ohio State quarterback and C.J. Stroud, which, again, is really encouraging to see simply because if you're the Bears, right, you have to realize something, okay, is that looking at the rest of the NFL draft, right, the Bears aren't going to be in a market for a quarterback next year. And Ryan Poles loves his draft capital. So there could be a situation, let's just say the Bears end up with a really high pick, that there's a team that's kind of vying to trade up for one of these two guys. And ultimately that plays into Chicago's favor because Chicago is going to be able to trade back. But, you know, you look at some other games, I think, from across the weekend. And, you know, there was a lot of really, I think, interesting action going on, right? So you had... um. You know, Oregon, right, which I don't know how many people saw, but played Eastern, I believe it's Washington, and they just completely got back on track. And then we get kind of out there to the West Coast, right? I thought that the USC-Stanford game was just so incredibly boring, and part of that is just because, like, I think Pac-12 games are boring in general. And then how about Oklahoma State kind of running all over Arizona State, beating them by 17? I thought that Oklahoma State, Cowboys played a complete game kind of from start to finish, and that Arizona State at the end of the day was just left looking for answers. And, you know, Arizona State, I understand, is trying to break in a new starting quarterback this year because the starter – who started last year, Jaden Daniels, went out and transferred to LSU. But ultimately, you know, I thought this was one of the more like normal weeks in college football compared to like the crazy stuff we're used to seeing. Okay. You want to talk about boring college football here. Let's talk about big 10 football because the big 10 is like absolutely hammered this year. Like they're, they're, they're offensive. It's big 10, especially when you get to like Iowa, Wisconsin, like they're flat out, like drunk off the rocker right now. Like Iowa, they're like not only, on pace to have like one of the worst offenses in college football. Like they may have the worst offense in college football BCS history. Like it's ridiculous how bad Iowa's offense is. Like unwatchable, unwatchable. And I know a few Iowa fans, like I talk to them all the time about this. And 
you know, man, they're so dismayed from watching Iowa football every single week. It's like the same thing for, for them the last few weeks. Just their offense is so bad. And then I was watching, you know, with, with the Wisconsin game after Alabama, Texas, and um, <laughs> it was just – it's one of those things where I just couldn't help but laugh the entire time because Wisconsin, it seemed like every time they would get a drive going, they would just make a really dumb mistake um, in the red zone. I think they had a couple fumbles like, or, you know, an interception that would happen from Graham Mertz doing Graham Mertz things. And like, man, big 10 football is just brutal to watch outside of like Ohio state when they play a team that isn't in the big 10 or if they're playing like Michigan. So um, yeah, like the big 10, I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, Lincoln Riley, once he brings USC here can really start to liven things up a little bit. uh, Once the USC joins the big 10, eventually, um, I forget what year they're supposed to officially join the Big Ten, but um, I hope they can bring a little bit more offense and innovation to this conference because um, as it stands right now, like Big Ten football is almost unwatchable for me. It's like really bad. Um, But I I think that's enough college football talk for uh, today because we have a big game coming up here for the Bears here that we have to talk about and break down. And that's like you said, you said uh, Bears Packers week. It's Packer week here for the Bears and um, you know, the Packers, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, um, you know, coming off a, a brutal loss to the Minnesota Vikings, losing 23 to seven in that one. You know, the offense, Aaron Rodgers, just look completely off sync in that one. Uh, the Vikings, their pass rush got at Rodgers early and often. Like Aaron Rodgers got hit harder than I, I may have ever seen him get hit in an NFL game before. And it was coming left from right in that game. Zadarius Smith, uh, Daniil Hunter, they were going after him. I mean, it wasn't just those guys here. The Vikings, their entire defensive line dominated in that game. Um, And then, you know, the Packers, the lack of talent receiver really started to show in that one. You look at the first drive of the game for the Packers, you know, Christian Watkins gets wide open down the field. Aaron Rodgers throws a perfect ball. You know, they're going to set the tone for their offense in this game. And, Christian Watson drops it. And it's one of those plays where, yeah, if Devontae Adams was there, you know that Devontae Adams ain't dropping that thing. So, um, yeah, the the loss of Devontae Adams is definitely evident. But as we saw last year, the Packers have a tendency of having these just absolute catastrophe of games in the Matt Matt LaFleur era. Um, They had it last year in week one where they just got their asses kicked by the New Orleans Saints. I think it was like 38-3 to or something in that game in week one. It was – an absolute joke um, in that one. And it kind of played out similar here where the, ba- the Packers, they just got their butts kicked the entire time um, out there. So, you know, going into this game here, like we have in a situation where Packers are coming off a loss. They've never had a back-to-back loss in the Matt LaFleur era so far here or the, his first three years as head coach. And I think you're going to be expecting, if you're the Bears here, um, a team that's going to be very motivated to come in here or to get their first win at Lambeau on Sunday night? Well, there's a couple things. Number one, the Bears have not won at Lambeau Field since 2015. So I think that that's definitely a streak that needs to end at some point. The Bears have come close over the last couple of years, but they just haven't been there. And number two, I mean, you mentioned the Minnesota Vikings defense. So new this year on Bear Report, I am going to be doing a weekly NFC North recap, just looking at all four teams and kind of how they did with some thoughts. So it's definitely a cool feature piece to check out if you're looking for more NFC North news. But one of the things I wrote in my column was that the Packers offense had nowhere to go and couldn't figure anything out. And the reason being is because, you know, us as those 
people who like write and analyze the Bears. When I was watching that Packers Vikings game on Sunday, the Vikings defense was quite frankly a carbon copy of what the Bears ran under Vic Fangio because the Vikings current defensive coordinator Ed Donatel was actually Vic Fangio's right hand man in San Francisco, Chicago, and Denver. And now he's kind of running the show in Minnesota. So that defense, I think, you know, the Vic Fangio defense is become the prototype for the NFL. You see the Rams were basically running it the year that they won the Super Bowl. I believe it was in 2020 that the Rams were running it. You saw the Packers kind of go ahead and hire a new defensive coordinator. I believe it was last year to run a very similar defense. That was a Vic Fangio disciple, by the way. And then you had the Chargers that are running it now with Brandon Staley. And Khalil Mack, by the way, had three sacks, I believe, in his Chargers debut. So shout out to Khalil because I'm happy he's on a team with a legitimate quarterback now because, I mean, it kind of would have been unfair for him and he wasted a couple his a couple years of his career I wasted here in Chicago. But the point I think I'm making is that that Vikings defense could actually be scary good this year. So don't underestimate what the Vikings could end up doing. Now, when you look at that Packers game overall, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to be the guy that rebuilds what the Packers are all about on the offensive side of the ball because he's too talented of a quarterback that you kind of have this run first offense right with AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones that's certainly something you can do but then you also have to understand that he's the type of QB where he can pretty much make anything happen at a moment's notice so while you could go run first you're Offense has to kind of go ahead and run through Aaron Rodgers. Now, the problem with that is that over the last couple seasons and really since 2014, he got so used to Devontae Adams being the number one guy that when Devontae Adams isn't there anymore, it's very clear that the Packers really don't have a legitimate passing offense. You look at some of the receivers, I mean, Christian Watson, again, a total rookie. Romeo Dobbs, a mid-round rookie as well. Their most experienced guy right now is veteran wide receiver Randall Cobb, who, again, Randall Cobb is just one of those players that I quite frankly think that had he been on any other team in the NFL, he probably would not have made the 53-man roster just because he was relevant when the Packers had Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson the later years of the Mike McCarthy era. But then as soon as he kind of got released from the Packers, he really hasn't been the exact same guy since. And then the second thing is that, you know, Alan Lazard, the wide receiver, I mean, he's technically, you could argue, the most experienced wide receiver on the roster right now in the Matt LaFleur era that was kind of brought in by the Packers. But ultimately, you look at him, and even he's a guy that it's like, Lazard, you know, coming out of Iowa State was always a low risk, high reward type guy who's been okay for the Packers, but he certainly does not bring any sort of commanding presence. And so if you're the Bears, you're looking at this on Sunday and you're obviously going to have to go ahead and be on your toes the whole time, whether it's running, whether the Packers are running or passing the football. But I think the biggest thing here is this is the Bears can't let the Packers running game kind of beat them on defense. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the wide receiver core for the Packers is what it is at this point. And we saw it this past week with Getsy here in Chicago that, you know, LaFleur is not like they haven't, you know, they're not used to working with bad receiving cores in general here in Green Bay. Like there have been plenty of games uh, when Matt LaFleur has been here, uh, been there for Green Bay where Devontae Adams has been out and they've had to rely on some of these other other guys where, you know, a lot of them just aren't NFL caliber players um, in, in the past and, their offense has been able to have some some, some success because LaFleur is such a good play caller and, and you know designer where he can still scheme, get these guys open and get them in positions where Aaron Rodgers, all he has to do is kind of execute the play and, and get the ball to them, distribute the ball, and they can have a successful passing game. Um, but, I mean, like you said, they don't have, you know, the, the reason why Defonse Adams was so important for their success past few years is because he's that ultimate security blanket because you know that if he's in single coverage at any other at any time you know he's just going to get wide open no matter who is covering him and I mean to have that guy that Aaron Rodgers can rely on that has that faith in him there who a guy that can run you know perfect routes get wide open get you know incredible separation and also have the ability to have that kind of that um you know that connection with Aaron Rodgers on those back shoulder fades um you know, or any type of back shoulder throw, you know, that's a very valuable thing to have for a quarterback who's like Rodgers, who has been in the league for a while here. And, you know, he has a certain standard for what he wants out of his wide receivers. And now they have a bunch of other young guys here who have to earn Aaron Rodgers' trust. And I think it's going to take a while. Like certainly Christian Watson did not start off on the right foot here, dropping that pass to start that game, you know, dubs, you know, he had a, a really nice training camp for them and, you know, looked really good in the preseason, but, you know, can he, you know, sustain that um, in the regular season? I don't know. He had a couple catches in this last game, but a lot of those were in garbage time. You know, Randall Cobb, like you mentioned, like he's kind of here because he's Aaron Rodgers' best friend, basically. And, you know, those two have a connection together, but Cobb certainly isn't the player that he once was five years ago, um, yeah, even five years ago, but certainly not 10 years ago when, you know, he was one of the better slot receivers, gadget type of wide receivers in the NFL. He just isn't that type of player anymore. Um, you know, he's still solid. He can get open against zones. He's, you know, he's, he's a, a nice solid veteran, but you know, he, he's not a guy who's going to make a ton of impact out there. So the wide receiver core for the Packers is what it is. You know, I, I think, you know, there are going to be able to scheme some things open and, you know, be, Aaron Rodgers is going to, you know, come back to bite them in certain aspects of things because just, that's just how damn good he is. Um, but it certainly is a matchup that is, you know, in the bears favor here when you look at their defensive backs. Now, on the, on the flip side of that, the 
other matchup that is not on their uh, favor here for the Bears is that offensive line versus defensive line. I think the most important important thing to watch for this week is the health status of David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins. Now, we got a report earlier today that both of those guys are back at practice, but in a limited aspect, and we don't know if they're going to be playing this week. So, you know, if they're playing this week, it, it can be expected that they're, they're going to be, you know, not you know quite 100% yet. If they're not playing, great. You know, the Packers have to rely on some depth here. Um, at the offensive line. With that said, you know, the, the Bears still have, I think, one of the weaker defensive lines in the NFL. Like, I was going back and watching tape from the 49ers game, and the 49ers got whatever they wanted on the ground. Like, Justin Jones and Angel Blackson weren't stopping anybody. <laughs> like, they were just getting their, their butts kicked the entire game. Robert Quinn's not a good run defender. Um, you know, Gibson and Robinson, you know, are fine at that aspect of playing the run, but, you know, not great either. So I, I think that's going to be the matchup here is, you know, can the, can the bears, you know, establish themselves on the defensive line and, you know, create some push in the passing game to get a bunch of, a little bit of a pass rush on Aaron Rodgers, but also stop the run because you alluded to before the Packers, they're going to look to run the ball a ton. That's going to be their identity this year. They have really talented defense. They have two extremely talented running backs with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. They're going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to control the clock. Aaron Rodgers is going to do Aaron Rodgers things, and that's how they plan on winning games this year in kind of a low-scoring affair. So that's kind of the matchup to watch on that side of the ball. Now let's go to the other side of the ball. What's kind of the one matchup or one thing you're kind of watching for uh, for the Bears offense going up against that Packers defense? Yes, I think what I'm going to look at is this, is can the Bears get Darnell Mooney more involved in the passing game, right? And then the reason I say that is this, is because if there's one position where the Packers have had a lot of continuity over the last couple seasons, it's been the secondary, right? You have Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, Jair Alexander, obviously your consensus number one corner, Eric Stokes is back for basically his second season. And, you know, he was good last year, but he played like a typical rookie, okay? So he wasn't great by any means. So the question is, is after looking at the way that the 49ers kind of took Darnell Mooney out of the game, can the Bears figure out a way to get Mooney more involved? And then also, if we do see Valus Shown Jr., the rookie wide receiver who was limited in practice on Wednesday, do we see him return? Because that should certainly open certain looks up for a player like Mooney. Now, ultimately, you know, so it's just this, for me, what's coming down to is the Bears have to understand something. And people, I think, have to understand something too, is that the Bears cannot rush the ball 50 times a game and expect to be, you know, competitive every single time. Like, there's going to be times in a pass-happy league where this team is going to need to do it through the air, okay? Just how the league is now with, a lot of these pass happy offenses that feature a incredibly, you know, explosive vertical passing game. So the bears have to get it done through the air here. Cause quite frankly, that's the only legitimate option that they have to be able to build. And also, you know, a quick side note that you're seeing the way that the bears offense kind of adjusted last week, put it together in the second half. This Packers team is a phenomenal test. I think, phenomenal early season test to really see where the bears as a team are at as a whole, because if you are bears ownership and you're the front office, you're looking at this and you're saying, yeah, these guys have kicked our butts for the last basically three decades. How do we turn the tide? We begin turning the tide by beating them on Sunday night. But I think that there's a lot more at play here than a lot of people are willing to admit. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
you know, there is, I mean, it's a, it's a big game. Obviously any Packers game is a big game for Chicago, um, no matter what the records are, no matter what, what part of the season it is. Um, so, and especially now if the bears can go two and on the Packers go own two to start their years, like that would be freaking incredible for Chicago, especially considering the expectations going into this season. Now, in terms of some of the matchups you kind of brought up, like I agree they have to find a way to get Darnold Mooney going in this game. I, I think him having one catch on a screen is not acceptable here. Like you look at what the four Niners were able to do with Debo Samuel, even though the conditions were bad, they still found ways to get him involved. And I know Debo Samuel is a unique player in terms of he can be like kind of a, a pseudo running back and you can get him involved in jet sweeps and screens and, and trick plays and all that stuff. That's not really Darnold Mooney's game, but you know, you look at what, what Shanahan was able to do with the 49ers offense last week, and he found ways to get his best players the ball um, and, and get them touches throughout the course of the game. And that really helped, helped him to a degree in the first half, not, not so much in the second half when they kind of went away from that. Um, but the Bears, are, they're going to have to find a way to do something similar, I think, with Darnold Mooney because he is the dynamic player on this offense that can really take the top off of a defense that can, you know, take the ball short and make a big play out of it. You know, the bears don't really have many of those guys and, you know, Vilas Jones would kind of fit that mold as well as kind of that yak threat. Um, I'm really excited to see what the bears plan is to do with uh, Vilas Jones in this offense. Like, I don't know if he's going to play or not because the hamstring injury, it's, it's a little bit tricky. I would honestly, especially if it's going to be rainy, rainy again, which is kind of the expectation at this point, that's going to be a little bit of a rainy field again uh, at Lambeau that I would honestly be fine just sitting him for the week and not, you know, getting a hamstring injury any worse. Um, but that's just me personally. The matchup I'm going to be personally going to be looking at is the offensive line against the defensive line for the Packers because, you know, the Packers, similar to the 49ers, have a loaded defensive front. I mean, you have Rashawn Gary, who's one of the most underrated players uh, in the NFL. You have Kenny Clark, who's one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. And they got other guys on that defensive line too. Preston Smith is a really good number two edge rusher for them. Uh, you know, they brought in – uh, Devontae Wyatt in the draft. Uh, they got some other talent on that defensive line that's pretty solid as well. Like it's it's going to be a tough test for this Bears offensive line, who you know held up well for the most part, but they definitely showed some shakiness at the beginning of the game last week. Um, you know, how are they able to manage that? You know, very talented defensive front. I think it's going to be something that's going to be uh, extremely important for this Bears offense this upcoming week. So. Um, those are kind of some of the things to look out for here for this upcoming game. And, you know, before we wrap it up here, you say, what's your prediction for this one? Who do you have winning? What do you think the score is going to be? Yeah, so phenomenal question. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that the Packers are the ones that go ahead and win this one. The reason I say that, I think that they're going to end up winning 31-20. But there's two things to keep in mind. Number one, it is Lambeau Field. Number two, this team is incredibly young. And let me add a third thing on here is it's very difficult to bet against Aaron Rodgers when he does have a major loss, right? So this is one of those games where, you know what, quite frankly, the Bears, I think, are going to hang in this, but the Bears just don't have enough to get the job done. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement here. I think, you know, pissed off Aaron Rodgers is not a great position to be in. If you're the Bears here going up against that, you just know that Aaron Rodgers, he's going to come out extremely focused. He's going to come out there. And I, it's one of those situations where, you know, the Packers, they are the more talented team. I think they're a well-coached team. And it's just one of those things where if it's a close game, I just don't think that Aaron Rodgers is going to let them lose um, because, you know, it's just one of those situations where they're not going to go down 0-2 to start the year. And I, I just don't think it's going to happen. So, unfortunately, I, I agree. I think the Bears are going to lose this one. Uh, I have the score 
being Packers 27, Bears 17. I think it's going to be close for the most part, but Aaron Rodgers is going to strike uh, together a few drives near the end of the game to put them ahead, and the Bears just won't have the firepower offensively, um, especially at the receiver position against that secondary to be able to, you know, stay with them and, and, and keep it close to end the game. So that's my prediction. But, you know, what are your guys' thoughts uh, for all of our listeners on this game? You know, are you guys excited about this game? You know, it, it's it's going to be – it's Packer week. So it's one of those things where it's going to get us all riled up for this one. And I'm, I'm excited to watch this game. Um, you know, Sunday night football, prime time once again for the Bears. Like, you know, it's one of those things where it's the oldest rivalry in the NFL and – I absolutely enjoy, even though it's been one side over the years. You know, I always enjoy the opportunity to watch Bears Packers when it's on. So, looking forward to this upcoming week. And then, you know, I guess that's going to wrap it up for us here uh, for Picks for Polls. So, uh, you know, for all of our Bears fans that are listening today, make sure to follow us on all podcasting platforms, especially at the Blue Wire. Um, you know, make sure to follow us there. Um, in, ten, in terms of social media, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Polls, where we have a bunch of updates during college football season. Um, and then for you, say, uh, where can our listeners find your work and follow you on social media? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on social media. That is Twitter and Instagram at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I am doing a post-game article right after the game, as well as an NFC North recap, which will be out on Monday or Tuesday, depending on when all the NFC North teams get done playing, and then a article on Thursday or Friday. So a couple articles a week for me, and then this podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to check out Usain's work and follow him on social media. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can find my work at the Bearport as well. I do post-game uh, articles as well um, for, you know, obviously after the games. Uh, but also make sure to check out my Tracking the Trenches series on uh, the Bear Report, which details uh, pass rushing and pass blocking the st- statistics that I go through uh, every single game, uh, breaking down, you know, such as pass block win rates for players, you know, pressures, sacks, all that stuff, all the nitty gritty analysis for how the Bears did in pass blocking and in their pass rush. I go through all of that on the Bear Report. So make sure to check that out. It's one of my favorite things to do uh, for the website over the years. And um, it's something that I hope that Bears fans can get a lot of information out of for um, using that towards evaluating their offensive line and defensive line play for this upcoming season. I had a lot of fun with it last year, hoping to have another good year with it this season. So without further ado, that's going to wrap it up for us here at Picks for Polls. I want to thank everyone for listening and tuning in to us uh, once again today. Uh, And Bears fans, it's Packer week. It's going to be a wild ride this weekend, and it should be a fun one on Sunday night. So until next time, Bears fans, have a great and safe weekend, and bear down, let's go beat the Packers. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.